Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're trying to take the Old Testament wisdom of God and unite it with the New Testament revelation of the Messiah and show how it jointly fits together rather than what the church has done through replacement theology. Try to say Old Testament bad, orange man bad. <laughs> okay, anyway, with, uh, and we're doing that and we love to do it and thank you for being faithful to join us. Uh, and so today we're in Torah study number four in Genesis 18, and we're continuing our teaching on the life of Abraham. And this particular Torah study is, uh, you know, you could say this about every one of them, but this is just absolutely an amazing uh, series of teachings between Genesis 18 and Genesis 22. Uh, uh, not only about the life, the character, the nature, the faith of our father Abraham, but there's some amazing teaching on a divine visitation by three angels that inform a- Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby! <laughs> well, I thought we were a little bit past baby uh, having age, but uh, God is a God of miracles, and what seems impossible, God makes possible. Amen. And, and there's uh, other uh, teachings in here. We learn about Abraham's nephew Lot and some of his character and that disastrous decision to move his family to Sodom. Uh, There's some unbelievable teaching uh, here about Hagar and Ishmael. And then uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, one of the more powerful teachings of all, the binding of Isaac on Mount Moriah. And uh, we're going to get into uh, Mount Moriah and the significance of the Temple Mound today. Uh, All of this teaching we could get into and do a whole series, but we've only got about 40 minutes left, so we've kind of got to trim it down. And so today I just felt like we needed to focus on an amazing statement that God uh, made to Abraham in Genesis 18. And if you brought your Bibles, you're welcome to turn over to Genesis 18. And in 18, uh, verse 17, and I'm going to read from the complete Jewish Bible, uh, God makes a a very powerful promise, and we're going to get into this. And it uh, begins by saying, Adonai said, should I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? There's a whole message there that God reveals things in advance to those that are sensitive and discerning in the Holy Spirit. How many of you resemble that remark? You're sensitive and discerning to what God is saying. Amen. May we all have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so verse 18, it says, Inasmuch as Abraham is sure to become... 
a great and strong nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him. Verse 19, for I have made myself known to him. God has made himself known to Abraham. So that he will give orders to his children and to his household after him, his descendants, to keep the way of Adonai and to do what is right and just. How many of you are doing that? You're doing what is right and just in the eyes of the Lord. And then uh, we're going to end this reading of the scripture with this, so that Adonai may bring about for Abraham what he has promised. And so we're going to dig into this a little bit today. Here we see Abraham, or God reminding Abraham, the reason he's blessed and the reason that the promises of God will always manifest in his life and in his descendants' life because of a rock-solid commitment to learn the Word of God and keep it. Amen. Amen. That's never changed. If you make a decision as a believer to learn the Word of God and keep it, you are going to walk above the trials and tribulations in life. And even if you find yourself in the midst of the storm, God's going to send the helicopter. He's going to send the rescue boat. He's going to send a canoe. He's going to send something to rescue you from the flood. And there is a flood out there of misinformation, of antichrist things, and we need to rise above all of that. And it's based on what God is saying here. Learn the Word of God, teach it to your kids, keep it, and you'll be blessed. And, uh, and what uh, God really stirred me on this week is to focus on this declaration that he makes that I will bring about for Abraham what has been promised. So I want to explore what God has promised to Abraham and what Christians need to understand about these promises so we can fulfill the perfect will of God. What God spoke to Abraham hasn't expired. He didn't put an expiration date on it. Contrary to what's in my refrigerator. Expired. 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 (laughs) I tease my wife about that all the time. Honey, look. Expired. God has not put an expiration date on His promises. Amen? And what God has promised Abraham begins with that well-known promise from Genesis 12.3. It promises the very thing that's reiterated here in Genesis 18. That Abraham would become a great and mighty nation. And that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And we won't delve into this, but that word blessed uh, in the Hebrew can mean grafted in. That all the nations of the world would be through Abraham grafted in. Grafted into what? 
the revelation of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And as Christians, we're grafted in. We're the wild olive branch that's grafted into the olive tree that is started through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. Now the main blessing everyone knows, the main promise, is that God said, I'll bless those who bless Abraham. And by extension, that means I'm going to bless those that bless Israel. Those that will bless the Jewish people, Abraham being the first Jew, newsflash, breaking Christian news, Abraham was a Jew, and just, uh, you know, while I've got people nervous, no one here, maybe you're listening uh, on the podcast, but uh, Jesus was more than just a Jewish carpenter, a Jewish rabbi, how about that, Orthodox Jewish rabbi. Right? Wore a tallit. Kept the holidays. Kept kosher. When Jesus came, he didn't say, Okay, now everybody can have a ham sandwich. <laughs> and look, here at New Beginnings, for the last 25 years or longer, uh, we've learned what it means to stand with Israel. What it says over here, Psalm 122.6, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem so that we can prosper. And the peace of Jerusalem means uh, finding a way to be a blessing to Israel and the Jewish people. We've not replaced them. We shouldn't be mad at them. We shouldn't be throwing stones at them because their theology hasn't uh, matched Christian theology. One day that's going to happen in one shape, way, form, or another. And that's what the one new man is all about, Ephesians 2. But we're committed to fulfilling that scripture here. And you can go to Larry Huck Ministries' website and see all the charitable projects concerning Alia, concerning buying ambulances uh, and uh, uh, for uh, supporting Holocaust survivors. And we've just added uh, some new things. We've just now added a new charitable outreach to help young children who suffer from PTSD because of terror rocket attacks and balloons with uh, incendiary devices exploding over their homes and they're hearing sirens and they're running for bomb shelters and they're traumatized. And, uh, and so now we're starting to help support therapeutic healing uh, so that they can go on and, and live a blessed life. So Genesis 12, 3, if God brought you to new beginnings, this is all part of our mission statement. But there are other promises, uh, maybe not as well known, uh, that God gave to Israel. And one of the ones we're going to get into today is probably one of the most disputed promises. And it concerns the land of Israel. And who the land of Israel belongs to. And look, throughout history, you got a lot of religious wars fought over Jerusalem and the land of Israel. 
And right now, at the end of the age, look what we're seeing, the madness, the insanity in the world. In one sense, those are birth pangs. Messianic birth pangs. The beginning of sorrows, Matthew 24. And we see all of that, and as I said to my uh, best friend Al, you can call me Al. Amen. It is uh, uh, that uh, even though it's madness, what we're seeing is let, uh, let's not let our hearts be troubled. Okay, don't let your heart be troubled. These things have to happen. Amen. And uh, Pastor's done a lot of teaching, reading the signs of God on his YouTube channel. You can go back, see all those sermons on uh, end time events. And he's now getting into the seven churches of Revelation and the Jesus of Revelation, not the Jesus of the gospel. And fascinating stuff. But it's important to understand all of this as a believer because God has made promises to uh, the Jewish people concerning the land of Israel that have never been revoked. They cannot be changed. There's promises and prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled concerning Israel. And Jesus didn't nullify those things. And the closer we get to the rapture, the more Israel's going to become the central issue in the world. And that's because Israel is at the heart of God's end time prophetic plan. Look, here's something most Christians don't realize. You probably realize it. But did you know that the great battle of Armageddon uh, that ushers in the second coming and the rule and reign of uh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and ushers in the thousand-year reign of Christ, that Sabbath millennium. All of that is waged over who owns the Holy Land. Armageddon is fought. It's not the Bruce Willis version of Armageddon. It's the Bible version, and it's all over who owns the Holy Land. The world, the secular world, hates Israel. They hate the Jewish people, because as even Paul said in Romans 9, the Jewish people have given you Christians everything, including the Messiah. So you ought to show a little bit of thanks and gratitude instead of trying to nullify them and replace them. Right? So there's a huge amount of archaeological, historical evidence that the rightful owners of the promised land are the Jewish people, beginning with Abraham, and we'll get to this. Uh, For Christians... This is all so very important because how we treat Israel in the last days will in effect be how you're treated. Because I'll bless those or I'll the other thing, curse those. So as Josh McDowell once said, it's evidence that demands a verdict. All right. So here's some Bible evidence for us. 
And this, you probably have heard and you know some of this, but it's just a refresher course. Who does the land belong to, beginning with Abraham, and what's been promised through Abraham? And God said, I'm going to fulfill my promises that I've made to Abraham. And in Genesis 12, 7, it says that the Lord appeared to Abram, Abraham, and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Who believes the Bible? Who believes John 3.16? If you believe John 3.16, then you have to believe Genesis 12.7. Because it's all inspired. Yeah? 2 Timothy 3.16, another great 3.16 scripture, is that all scripture is given. All scripture is God-breathed. Not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all the uh, epistles. But, you know, the Torah is God-breathed, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look at Genesis 15.18. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. All the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now the Israel we see now is much smaller, but originally what God gave is so much bigger. And when Israel reformed as a nation in 1948, they tried to replicate this, but because of pressure, oil pressure, they kept downsizing Israel. But they formed Israel's border, they formed Lebanon's border, they formed Syria's border, they formed Jordan, Transjordan's border, Iraq's border, coming out of World War I and the, the collapse of uh, Nazism and the, uh, well, it wasn't Nazism in World War I, it was, uh, uh, but it was the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. So they drew all these Middle East borders, but no one disputes any other borders except Israel's. Why? Because secular forces hate Israel. They want Israel wiped off the map and they don't want the scripture to be the guide. When Joshua uh, took over for Moses after coming out of Egypt and they're crossing in uh, to Israel, uh, God said to uh, Joshua in Joshua 23:43, the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled it there. And in verse 45, not a single one of all the promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything God had spoken came true. How many of you love a God that when He says it, He means it, and it's going to happen, it's going to come to pass? Now we could go on, 1 Kings 4.21, Solomon ruling over Israel, Psalm 105, 8-11, God remembers His covenant forever, the word which He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant He made with Abraham. And his oath to Isaac. 
and confirmed it with Jacob for a statue to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. The land of Israel is an inheritance to the descendants of Abraham. And look, one day we're going to take up residence there. And if God gives you an assignment to come back to Dallas and rule and reign from Dallas, we're still going to come up to Jerusalem during that Sabbath millennium and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory. So we could go on and on, but the key takeaway is that God has promised the land of Israel to the Jewish people. It's an eternal possession. It's an unconditional promise. And check this out. God confirms it in the Bible 55 times with an oath. And it's stated at least 12 times that the covenant is everlasting. When you look up everlasting in the Hebrew, it means everlasting. Lasts forever. And so for a Bible-believing Christian, this is just part of the overwhelming evidence that demands a verdict. A verdict that the promised land belongs to Israel and the Jewish people. Unfortunately, secular... uh, History, religious dictators throughout his, uh, uh, history, they have vehemently been opposed to God and His promises to Israel. There, every generation has always had some sort of conqueror coming to conquer Israel. And when they have, breaking news, they become occupiers. Who's occupying the land? How could it be like your home? How many of you have a mortgage on your home? Yeah? Do you want someone to come to your home and say, You're occupying it, you don't have any right to that home? Oh, I have title deed to the home. The title deed that Israel has was given by Almighty God. They have a right to exist, a right to the land, they have a right to defend their borders. Even though they're under nonstop attack, anti Israel, anti Semitic, anti Christ type people, terror groups, organizations, even nations stand against Israel and not for Israel. And their sole purpose is that Israel would be wiped uh, off the map. All right? And uh, one of the Uh, amazing psalms go with me to psalm 83 you you may have seen this maybe you've never seen this before Uh, but the psalmist uh, has a dilemma because back when this was written there were people that wanted to conquer israel and occupy the land for their benefit and so the psalmist writes in verse one oh god do not be silent do not be deaf. Do not be quiet, O God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? They devise crafty schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. 
Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Well, what you're seeing here is a generational strategy. It's a generational policy to overturn God's will. And today, it's just as true as it's ever been. So what is a Christian supposed to do about it? Well, number one, we need to, Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen? But we need to do more than just pray. Praying is a good thing. Say amen. amen. But, you know, just like uh, faith without action, sometimes prayer needs some action. Alright? And so we need to be a voice. We need to support voices that counter the dishonest and deceptive strategy that really comes from Satan. To destroy Israel, defame Israel, because if you can destroy and defame Israel, then you're defeating God. Sounds like a Nimrod move. Right? And this deceptive cry is that Israel is occupying someone else's land. That the land doesn't belong to Israel. It belongs to someone else. And Israel's moved in. They're squatters. They need to be removed. And they're committing genocide in order to get their way. That's the lie. That's the deception. But that's what you'll see on many news media outlets. And uh, they, even, even pro-Israel outlets still refer to parts of the land of Israel as the West Bank. There is no biblical term for West Bank. Well, actually there is. Judea and Samaria. Judea. Whose land does it? Judea belong to. It's Judea. One of the great scriptures that is a rallying cry, or should be a rallying cry for all of us, is Isaiah 62, verse 1. This is when Isaiah is starting to get into some prophetic scriptures. And he's starting to look forward into messianic times. And he says, because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. What's God's will for my life? Here's part of it. This is part of God's perfect will. And this is just more Bible evidence that demands a verdict from every Christian. And look, we would hope that every pastor would be willing to stand up what the Bible lays out concerning the land of Israel and the Jewish people. Biblically, legally, politically, historically, archaeologically, rightfully, the land belongs to the Jewish people. And when we get that revelation, there's my grandson. I love you, grandson. 
God said, if you'll get this revelation, I'll bring a blessing on you. Who's got enough blessing and you don't need any more? I've got too much. I don't want to be run down with blessing. And I don't want all of this uh, extra stuff. There's my grandson. Oh. So the question is, are the Jewish people legitimate heirs to the land of Israel? So I put together a series of facts that uh, you can use down the line if you ever get into a uh, debate. Hopefully it doesn't turn into an argument. But if you do get into some kind of debate or argument, may we all learn to agree to disagree agreeably. <laughs> okay, where your mama? So you're going to go see your mama? Oh. You got your rolling stone on? Jesus is the rolling stone. Here you go, mama. We interrupt this uh, Christian broadcast for a grandson moment. Okay, so here's this series of amazing facts. Uh, this isn't a comprehensive list. Add to it liberally and uh, share it with me later. Number one, God gave Jerusalem and all of Israel to the Jews beginning with Abraham. We just established that. But here's something that you might not be aware of, that Jews are the only nation with a continuous presence in Israel since Abraham. Yeah? Next week, uh, I don't know if I'll teach this next week, but in Genesis 23, you find recorded the oldest real estate transaction in history. In Genesis 23. This is when Abraham purchased a burial site for Sarah, the cave of Machpelah, which is in Hebron. It's still there to this day. It's the most ancient Jewish site and the second holiest place for Jews next to the Western Wall or the Temple Mount. It's the first plot of land in Israel to become the legal possession of the Jewish people in 1677 B.C. And Abraham purchased it from Ephron the Hittite. And he paid full price. And ever since, people have keep wanting Israel to pay the full price over and over and over. We already paid full price! Thousands of years ago. All right, so here's another one. Jerusalem has never been the capital of any other nation except Israel. No other people, no other nation has ever fully settled Israel. People have come and gone 
through uh, uh, the generations. But during this last 2,000 years since the uh, Roman exile, since the time of Jesus, no nation has ever come in and fully settled Israel over the last 2,000 years. Some of you remember Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. I think Pastor might have referred to this last week in his sermon, or a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, that when Mark Twain went to Israel in the late 1800s, he said, we went for days and saw no one. It was just barren desert. Day after day after day, no one settled it. Why? God was preserving it for the day when the prophecies of Aliyah would come to pass. And those Aliyahs have started to happen. Zionist movement, uh, Theodore Herzl in the late 1800s, and then uh, really uh, out of Nazi Germany, fleeing the Holocaust, 1948. Many of you know the story. There's a second real estate transaction that we've overlooked. It's recorded in the Bible. And it's when King David purchases the Temple Mount. This is an amazing thing. See, when, when David came into, Israel, into Jerusalem, he made a deal according to 2 Samuel 24, 24. The king said to Arauna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Arauna, the Jebusite, had used the Temple Mount as a threshing floor. And all of a sudden, King David comes on the scene. He's led by God to reclaim Jerusalem. And he goes and he says, Hey, I'm interested in a real estate transaction. And he purchases the Temple Mount. He was going to give it to him. And David said, look, I'm not going to uh, take anything that costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and some oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So King David buys the Temple Mount. And there's no recorded fact that he ever or any of his descendants ever sold it. So, if anything, this sacred property has only been conquered and occupied by others. Now consider this. Jesus, our Messiah, lived, died, rose again, and will return to the Holy Land and set up His kingdom based out of Jerusalem and on the Temple Mount. Why do you think there's so much conflict? Because the end game for the Christian is Yeshua is going to be on the Temple Mount ruling and reigning. And the devil wants to stop that. There's over 400 Bible prophecies, appearances, or foreshadowings of the Lord recorded in the Old Testament. That one day He will rule and reign. Amen? He's already ruling and reigning in my heart. How about yours? Ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Validating ancient history that the Bible is true. 
Who's ever heard of the ancient historian Josephus? Yeah. All of his ancient historical texts. He was hired by the Romans as a Jew to chronicle everything that was happening during the Roman occupation. And all of his writings prove Israel belongs to the Jews. Now, the Roman Empire, speaking of... When you watch Richard Burton in The Robe, or you see some of these other Hollywood movies that make the Roman Empire seem so wonderful and lovely and romantic, false teaching, that's Hollywood. (laughs) The Roman Empire was brutal. It would crush you. And they crushed Israel, the Jewish people. And they forcibly expelled most of the Jews out of Israel 2,000 years ago. Not that Israel. Masada, who's ever been to Masada? Or you saw the movie. Masada is a key historical event that proves the Jews have uh, all these ties to the land. Boy, that's a great place to go. Who's ever heard of the Arch of Titus in Rome? The Arch of Titus was built by Titus the general uh, to uh, be a memorial about how the Roman Empire conquered Israel and stole all the temple artifacts, took them back to Rome. So that, that still stands to this day. Google it or Bing it. How many of you realize that out of pure hatred and anti-Semitism, the Roman Empire changed the name of Israel to Palestine? Pastor went through that a few weeks ago. How many of you uh, realize that there's no historical record of any Palestinian state in world history? What's going on here? They w- Moving on. Jerusalem is recorded 667 times in the Bible. You already know the answer to this. How many times is Jerusalem recorded in the Quran? Zero. If Jerusalem was such a holy site, could you at least mention it once? (laughs) I I did this little study on the Dome of the Rock that was built in the uh, late 6th century, but it wasn't built by Muslims. There's some debate about why it was built and so on and so forth. Some say it was originally a temple restoration project. Others say it was a church project. But whatever, they were building over the rock on top of Mount Moriah where Abraham offered up Isaac to the Lord. Then when the Muslims finally conquered Jerusalem, they converted it into their own holy site. Then the crusaders, the Christian crusaders came in and they captured Jerusalem and held Jerusalem for several hundred years back in the King Arthur days, King Richard, Robin Hood days. 
They turned it into a Catholic church. And then when Saladin came in and recaptured Jerusalem in 1187, he turned it back into a Muslim shrine. So you can see it's changed hands. But originally, it wasn't Muslim. Then when the Israeli army came in, in the Six-Day War, 1967, they recaptured all of Israel. And the Temple Mount. And I just find this so ironic. Because you always hear about land for peace, land for peace. If you give us more land, we'll give you peace. It never works. This was the original land for peace deal. Because when they, they recaptured the old city, all of Jerusalem, the western wall, the Temple Mount, they immediately gave Jordan, who they just defeated, the management rights of the Temple Mount so they could keep it as a Muslim site. There was land for peace. Did they get peace out of that deal? Uh-uh. Then the Al-Ask Mosque, which is the second building up on the Temple Mount, the, the, the uh, Gold Dome isn't a mosque. The Al-Ask Mosque, which is uh, just right near the southern steps, the temple steps where Peter preached that great sermon, that's the mosque. And I just was reading about when the British were controlling all of Israel, uh, they did an archaeological excavation underneath the, that mosque. And it, it, you can't do that anymore. Uh, but back then, uh, even though the mosque was built in the early 7th century, 700 years after Jesus, decades after Muhammad died, Muhammad uh, died long before there was a mosque. But the excavation shows that there's a Byzantine era, which is that Christian era, 300 uh, uh, A.D. And, and beyond, that there's a mosaic floor underneath the mosque, and that it was likely a church. That site was likely a church or a monastery. And so uh, all of these things bring out a history, bring out some facts. Uh, there's so much more we could get into. But what I thought was amazing is that there's two Muslim buildings on the Temple Mount. The question is, why would Muslims build two religious buildings side by side? The answer is, they wouldn't and they didn't. (laughs) They wouldn't and they didn't. The mosque was built for Muslims and it faces towards Mecca, as most Muslim buildings have to do. But... The dome on the rock, that site where Abraham offered up Isaac, doesn't do that. And some Jewish historians say it's because it was constructed originally as a place of worship for the Jews. Pretty interesting. Here's something else that's very interesting. I've got to wind this up. If you go all the way back to 1918 B.C., and you read Genesis 14, 18, and 19, you're going to find some of the origins of the Temple Mount. 
This is when Abraham meets Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, for uh, Christian believers, is a type of the Messiah, a type of Christ. And he was called the King of Salem, the King of Righteousness. And he met with Abraham. And they shared bread and wine, a type of communion. And Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. And it was established at that point, thousands of years before Muhammad, that this site was important to Abraham. And God did something very special between Abraham and Melchizedek. We have history there. That's our history. Those are our Jewish roots. And as Christians, we need to be educated about these things. Because Israel's story should be our story. Right? Bible prophecy, all of Bible is not yet fulfilled. And as believers, our future is tied in with Bible prophecy and what God is yet to do and fulfill with Israel. So we need a correct understanding of these things. Christians haven't replaced Jews in God's plan. We've been grafted into God's plan. But, unfortunately, we got all that replacement theology confusion. But God did say that in the last days, there's going to be the hearts of the fathers, which are the spiritual fathers, the Jews. They're going to turn back to uh, the children. We're the offspring of Judaism. Christianity is the offspring of Judaism. And there's going to be a heartfelt change. And then Malachi goes on to prophesy that the hearts of the children are going to return to the fathers. And that's what's going on in the world today. It's a big part of Bible prophecy that Christians don't really realize because most pastors are still taught through seminary, we've replaced Israel. No, we haven't. And there's a day when the one new man, when Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2, will come together and Yeshua, who will be the chief cornerstone, will bring a unity and a peace and will go on into eternity together as brothers and sisters united in the Lord. And that's happening right now. And so God is calling all of us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Be a voice. Don't be silent about these things. Be educated about these things. And God will pour out upon you a blessing. I will bless those that bless Israel. Amen. 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 Well, if you receive that this morning, give the Lord a praise.